Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Uh, you probably got a text like I did yesterday around 12 o'clock, maybe a, a notification on your phone that uh, at 94 years old, President Bush had uh, passed away, the elder President Bush. And so I started getting online and uh, just looking at it, and I ran across this article that said these were the last words uh, that, that he spoke before he died. So uh, found out that he was actually on the, the phone with his uh, son, George, the, the second president. And uh, he said the last thing that he told his son was, I love you. And I uh, just want to know, want you to know how proud I am of you. Um, last words can be really powerful, uh, can be uh, long-lasting. Uh, maybe that's what you do when you talk to people on the phone. You can say a lot of things and, and uh, talk about a lot of different subjects, but before you hang up, you want to say, I love you, or I miss you, or I'm coming home soon, or, or want to tie the conversation up. Let those be your, your last words. Um, we have some last words for my kids like when, when they leave for school in the morning, we're on the way out the door, and Elizabeth, my wife, will say, all right, I love you, I'll see you this afternoon, do good, try hard. Uh, and then they get in the car, and, and I drop them off, and right before they close the door, I'll look at my oldest daughter and say, Leah, like, make good grades, study hard, look at my youngest daughter, come home on green, don't talk too much, you're going to do it, you're going to have a, a, a great day, that's the, the thing I want them to hear. Uh, when they when they drop uh, off and hear me for the last time, my dad used to drop me off uh, for school, and he would tell me the same thing. Especially on a test day, if he knew I was studying for something and preparing, he would kind of give me a little boost of confidence on the way out. Right before I got out of the car, he'd say, "All right, Nathan, you know this. Just do your best." Uh, but for my dad, do your best was make a hundred. He liked to use vague language like that. Uh, do your best, and I know your best is a hundred, so make a hundred. Uh, on the test, but uh, he wanted to, me to have that confidence. Last words can make a person confident. They can bring someone peace. Uh, they can be reassuring for people and very calming, even during a difficult time when you communicate that, that last phrase or that last words can be very calming for people. But sometimes uh, last words are used to communicate urgency, right? Uh, like this is the, I don't want you to forget this, okay? So these are going to be my last words. I'm going to repeat them. Last thing I say out the door, I want you to remember it. I don't want you to forget. This is important. This happens to me when my wife sends me to the grocery store. Uh, we need something, and I'm like, all right, Elizabeth, I'll go to the grocery store. And she'll say, well, you can pick up whatever you want to pick up. You can pick up anything on the list, but here's what I need. Like, here's the one thing, here's the purpose, here's the reason why you are getting in the car right now and going to the grocery store. Like, I need laundry detergent, okay? Laundry detergent. Last thing out the door, don't forget the laundry detergent. So I get in there. It's overwhelming in there. They got a lot of displays, a lot of cool stuff. I'm on an impulse buy now. Fifteen minutes later, I'm walking out with a bag of potato chips and a box of Little Debbie's and a a huge bag of paper towels, like industrial Sam-sized paper towels, and uh, some AA batteries, and I get home, and Elizabeth's like, did you get the laundry detergent? Like, shoot, forgot. And she'll say this, what was the last thing I told you? <laughs> last thing out the door, last thing I said, don't forget anything else. Like, just don't worry about it, laundry detergent. It's the whole reason you went. 
And so sometimes those words can be shared to us to, to sear something into our minds, to help us to remember something, to, to recollect, like communicate some urgency in this. Uh, we have a, a bedtime routine in my house where I go in and uh, tuck the girls in, and I'm really careful what I say. Um, at the end of the night because it, it has an effect on them. I, I try to say something calming like, hey, good night, I love you, sleep tight, I'm right over here in the next room if you need anything, tomorrow's going to be a great day, let's have pancakes for breakfast. Go to sleep thinking about pancakes when you wake up and really trying to calm them down because I don't want to say something that will put them in a tizzy. I don't want to say something that will frighten them. You know, I don't want to like, lean down and kiss my three-year-old or five-year-old daughter on the cheek and say, uh, I love you, Lydia, good night. Whatever you do, don't open up the closet door. <laughs> good night. <laughs> like, close the light up. Like, I don't want to say anything like that that will frustrate them or scare them or provoke them or make them cry. Last words can be really powerful. And so I think that's why it's so intriguing to me that John, the, the writer of the book of 1 John, we're going to look at the very last verse of the book. Like, last words matter. Last word. This is the last thing he would say. Think about how you would sign off on a letter or maybe you're on a phone call and having a conversation with someone. Think about, after all he said, think about the last words. I mean, he's the apostle of love. Surely he's going to end his letter by saying, love you guys. Remember what's most important. Love God. Love others. I love you. If you need anything, here's my cell phone number. Shoot me a text. Like, anything I can do. I love you. I believe in you. You're going to make it. We're going to pull through this thing together, right? It's, the odds are against us, but this is great. Like, something encouraging, something comforting, something that would help them. Like, you would think that is how he would close his letter, at least like truly yours, John, or something like, like that. But in chapter 5, verse 21, here's how he signs off on his letter to these people that he's so close to. Verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's it. Just white space under that right there. No signature, no love you, mean it, call me if you need me. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's the equivalent of going up to your kid and saying, don't go to sleep tonight. It's going to be bad. Whatever you do, don't unlock the basement door. Hey, dear ch little children, be on your guard against idols. Like, why would, why would he end that? That seems so weird that that would be how he would end it. N nothing else. And so there's some purpose in that. There's, there's a reason why he added that. Like, you just don't go up to somebody. Like, just imagine if somebody came up to you, like, you're having a conversation, or, like, they're on the phone with you, like, all right, man, hey, just uh, one more quick thing. Keep yourself from idols. You're like, you too. All right, yeah, great, thanks. You keep yourself from them too. Watch out for those things. They're crazy out there. Protect yourself. It just seems odd that he would close it out that way. Listen to the language that he uses. Keep yourselves. Some translations say guard yourselves against idols. Now recognize what he doesn't say. He doesn't say don't go out and worship idols. He doesn't look at these people and say, hey, look, you are followers of Jesus. You know some people in your culture are worshiping idols. They're bowing down to these little wooden statues and, and little marble statues. And so, like, listen, you guys know you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. Don't get mixed up in that. He chooses his language very carefully. Guard yourself. When, when you guard something, it's because someone else wants to come in and take what you have. And so the language here that John uses, hey, look, guard yourself 
against idols because there are things in the world that want to come in and take what you have. Your peace, your joy, your understanding, your security, your life. There are things that want to come in and rob you of that. So you need to guard yourself. This is not passive language like, you know, if you think about it, watch out for the idols. Sometimes they swoop in late at night. No, he's like, all the time. Be on your guard. Defensive move. Like, be on your guard. Don't let one of these things sneak into your life. Don't be impacted by these. He's trying to communicate this aura of urgency. Like, don't forget this. One last thing before I shut the door. One last thing. I don't know when I'm going to talk to you again. So listen, dear children, keep yourself. Guard yourself from idols. So that verse begs a few questions. Number one, what is an idol? Uh, Number two, why should we guard ourselves from it? And number three, how do we do that? So all kind of questions that, like, he leaves it. There's like, wait, wait, I got so many questions for you, John. What are you talking about? And John actually outlines it. He gives us those answers, those three questions. The first one is this, what is an idol? Maybe you think of something, maybe uh, you think of a little wooden statue or a graven image, or maybe you think of American Idol or something like that. Like, what is an idol. What is he talking about here? And John actually tells us exactly there are three things, and here's how I want to phrase it. There are three things that you and I search for and find in God that some people that don't know God search for in idols. There's a reason why. Like You think, like, who in the world would bow down to a wooden statue? Who would pray to a little marble fat man? Who would do that? Well, there's actually... A few things, a few things that all of us are searching for, all of us desire that would make someone worship an idol. It's things that followers of Jesus find in God. And here's how John lays it out, verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. There are three things. John gives us three things that Christians, followers of Jesus, find in God. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are looking for the same things, and you just find them in other areas. The first one is this. We find our identity and belonging in God. People are searching for an identity. They're searching for a belonging. They want to belong to something. Here it says we are born of God and we belong to God. John says that's your identity. That's who you are. You are born of God. You belong to God. Like There's this sense of camaraderie and fellowship and teamwork. Like When you're on team Jesus, you're a part of something. And here's what I know. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants to belong to something. Nobody wants to be a nobody. Nobody wants to walk into a room and say, I hope no one sees me. I hope no one notices me. I hope no one ever finds out who I am and no one ever knows my name. I hope that just no one even knows I exist. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you at least want to be known. You want to feel like you belong to something. You want to have an identity. We see all this all the time. People are constantly, they'll they'll join clubs or they will join teams to be a part of something, to to have an identity. We will buy things to gain acceptance from people. 
We will acquire possessions because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel like we are a part of something. It's our identity. It's a belonging. In college, we'll join a fraternity or a sorority. We'll sport the letters on our chest. Why? Because we want to belong to something. We want to be a part of something. We don't want to be on the outside by ourselves where no one knows us. Everybody wants to belong. Everyone desires a sense of belonging. We were actually created that way. Like God created in you a longing for belonging. And the great news is God gave you an identity. God gave you a team to be a part of. And so John said that's the first thing that we all look for. Everyone is searching for identity. Everyone wants to feel like they belong. The second thing he says, this is what followers of Jesus find in God, but other people that don't follow God, that don't believe in God, they're they're looking for the same things. Trust me, they're looking for it in other places. The second one is this security and comfort. That's what we look for. That's what we find in God. We find security and comfort. Listen to what John says, the one who was born of God, that's a phrase he's talking about Jesus, the, the one that was born of God, God's son, keeps them safe. And I love that language that John uses here because, listen, if Jesus was the one that was born of God and you and I are children of God, then guess what that makes Jesus for us? Big brother. Like That's, that's, a, that's a good big brother to have right there. I don't know if you had a big brother or you are a big brother, but here's how it works. Um, when I was growing up in, in high school, Everybody at that school knew. My brother was a senior when I was a freshman. Everybody at that school knew if you mess with Nathan, you mess with Stephen. If you pick on Nathan, then Stephen's going to show up. Like if you try to push Nathan around and bully him or do anything to him, you just got to understand like he comes with a big brother that's really, really protective of him. Now, like, my brother could beat me up and make fun of me and bully me, but nobody else could. Like, like don't get any ideas. That's, that was his job, okay? And so if anybody messed with me, like, I was in the shadow of my older brother as long as I was there. And that's the language that John used. He says, hey, hey, children of God, you are in the shadow of a big brother named Jesus. And he brings comfort and he brings security. Nobody messes with you when you know your brother is Jesus. So there's that family dynamic that he paints. There's a sense of security, a sense of comfort when you have a big brother. The sense that no matter what happens, you've always got somebody that has your back. Like your brother's not going to turn your back on you. Your brother's always going to bail you out. That someone is looking after you and protecting you. As long as you have a big brother, you have someone that has your back. Many people have idols in their life because they're searching for something, anything that will bring them security anything that will make them feel better, anything that will give them some comfort, anything that will give them identity and a sense of belonging. People are selling out to countless things because of that. Verse 20 tells us the third thing that we look for and find in God, but that some people will pursue idols over. He says, we know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. The third thing that we find as followers of Jesus in God that other people find and search for in idols is perspective and understanding. That's what John says. He says, when you and I have Jesus, we have understanding in life. 
Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or Team Jesus. We all struggle with the same questions. All of us at one point in our life will ask questions like, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to me? Why don't I always get my way? What is the true meaning of life? Why am I even here? What was I created for? Why am I here on earth? All of us have those questions. And John says that with a relationship with Jesus, we have perspective. God helps us to understand why we're here. God helps us to know what our purpose is. God helps us to navigate, like, why do bad things happen? And how do we deal with pain? And what do we do with guilt? And what happens when life is unfair and it feels like we're just getting knocked down over and over and over again? How do you process that outside of God? People will try to find idols in their life that will give them some perspective, that will help them cope with the difficult times in life. John says for followers of Jesus, that's Jesus. He says for others, though, that's idols. Every person in the room struggles with those three things. We all desire a sense of belonging. We all desire a sense of security. And we all desire a sense of purpose and understanding. We all want, regardless of what you believe about God, All of us are pursuing those three things. And the reason why is that God created us with a sense of longing and actually provides those things for us. Those three holes that we have in our life, he says, I created you for you like that on purpose because I'm the one that gives you your identity. I'm the one that gives you your security. I'm the one that gives you your belonging. It's almost like he did that on purpose. But John makes it very clear, some people will choose other things. Some people will not look towards God, they will look towards other things. And one of the things that people would look toward is wooden idols. In this day and age, there were idols everywhere. There were temples set up to every god that you could possibly think of and imagine. And you could go and worship and bow down and pray to any god that you could imagine. People were looking for anything to give them identity. Anything to give them security. Anything to give them some perspective and understanding and like how can I cope with the life that I've been given. They were looking for those things. But interestingly enough, when I say the word idols, I know you may think of little wooden statue or, or a marble graven image. But that's actually not the only thing that John was talking about here. Sometimes when we read that, we like keep yourself from idols. We think, okay, well... I don't have an idol. I don't know of any of my friends that have an idol. Nobody's bowing down to picture frames in my house or, or little wooden toys, so we're good, right? Listen to what the NLT, the New Living Translation, says. Same verse in 321. Instead of saying, little children, guard yourself against idols, here's what it says. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Now see, when you read it like that, it gives you a whole definition of idol. Idol is not just some wooden statue that you bow down to. An idol could actually be anything in your life. Anything that you are pursuing that takes the place of God in your heart becomes an idol. Anything. Could be sex, could be money, could be power, could be possessions, could be your relationships, it could be your career. Anything in your life could actually have that impact on you. Jesus realized this. He used this language all the time. Maybe one of his most famous analogies of idolatry was, was this. He said, hey, man cannot worship both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And that story, it was almost like Jesus was saying money 
can be a god. Money can be an idol. Well, how do you serve money? Like, do you just have a stack of $100 bills, and you're like, oh, Benjamin Franklin, what would you have me to do today? Is that how you serve money? Is that what Jesus was talking about? Is it bowing down to an image of gold or an image of a $100 bill? No. You want to know how you serve money? Do you find your identity in it? Do you find your security and comfort in it? Is that what gives you perspective and purpose and meaning in your life? Then you just found your idol. It's not a graven image at all. It's not a wooden statue at all. Anything can be an idol. Now, let me get this straight. Like, is money bad? No, money is not bad. If you think money is bad, then give it to me, and I'll do something with it, right? Just get it out of your life altogether. Money is not bad. Here's what John says. When you take something that is good and you make it God in your life, that's when it turns bad. When you take something that is secondary and you make it the primary desire of your heart, that's when it's an idol. That's when it moves from money to a problem. That's when it moves to a nice relationship to idolatry. That's when it moves from a successful career to the very thing that gives you life. And John says, you got to watch out for that. How do you know what your idols are? Here's just some quick questions. Just answer these really quick. The first one is this. What do you value the most? What matters the most to you in life? Second, what do you think about the most? I mean, like in your downtime, what's on your mind? Before you go to bed at night, what's racing? When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing that's like cognitively in your mental faculties? What's going on in there? What do you think about the most? What are you seeking the most in life? I mean, this is the thing that drives you. This is the thing that you desire the most. This is the thing that makes you get up early and stay up late and makes you put in the hours and, and it's, it's, it consumes you. What are you seeking in life. <laughs> Here's a tough one. What do you always have time and money for? I mean, like, when we don't have time and money for anything else, we will always find time and always find money for these things. What is that in your life? Always have time. No, no matter what our bank account is, no matter how busy we are, we'll always have time for some things. What would you sacrifice for? Like, what would you give up something that's really important in order to pursue this. What do you put your trust in? Here's one. What are you terrified to lose? Like today, you walk out the door and you realize you lost something in your life. Fill in the blank. What would scare you the most to lose? What are you terrified to lose the most? What do you desire and dream about? You answer all those questions and you will find what leads to your idol. Here's your gut check. Whatever you find your identity in, whatever brings you the most comfort and security, and whatever you have attached to your purpose in life, you have just found your idol. And John says, dear children, guard yourself against those things. Man, they seem so great at the beginning. They sneak in. You're just like, oh, this is no big deal. Money's great. Relationships are great. Advancing in your career is great. Having a profession is great. All those things are great. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, it takes the place of God in your life. It sits on the throne of your heart. And here's, here's what's so interesting about this idea. Every one of us are going to worship something. You know, you can talk to people and say, oh, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I, they, they're worshiping a God. It's just not the God you're worshiping. Their God is either themselves 
or their money or their career or their fame or their relationships. But trust me, everyone here is worshiping something. So the question is, what is your God going to be? Is it going to be the one true God, the only one that can bring you identity and security and comfort and purpose in life? Or will you continue to spin your wheels on little g gods only to be upset and disappointed every single time? I mean, you can ride it a little while. You can trust in this little g God for a while and then all of a sudden you'll realize that it let you down and your God died. I remember seeing on TV and hearing reports um, when the stock market corrected a few years ago, there were, they were, they were people on Wall Street that were jumping out of windows committing suicide. You want to know why? Because their God just let them down. Their idol just disappointed them. And their life shattered. And they had nothing else to live for. You're going to find it somewhere. You're going to look for, every person is looking for those three things somewhere. And John says, we were actually created to find those in God. Verse 19, let me read this again. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Here's the second question. So now that we know what a God, what an idol is, here's the second question. Why is guarding yourself such a big deal? I mean, come on, that's pretty ominous. He left and he's like, guard yourself. Like he didn't say don't worship. He said like don't look at him. He said guard yourself, like protect yourself in all cases. Under no circumstance are you to let your guard down on these things. Well, the simple question and answer is this. The reason why John says guard yourself is because those things can distract your affections and your attention away from God. And as soon as that happens, you've taken God off of his rightful throne in your heart and in your life and replaced it with something else. Everyone is looking for these things. Everyone is searching for the answers. You have to pick one. You will find these things in something, or at least try. Why not find them in the thing that promises to always fulfill, that promises to always give satisfaction? How do we guard against them? Final question, like, okay, so it's bad. I don't want to be an idol worshiper. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I want to guard myself. I understand why those things can sneak up. So how do you guard yourself? How do you do that? Simple word. Sim- one, one word answer. It's focus. If you want to learn how to guard yourself against idols, like 1 John 5, 21 talks about, you have to learn how to focus. Focus on God instead of those other things. We have a, a team in Cuba right now, and uh, one of the trips that I went on, a couple of years ago to Cuba, we were able to go into this woman's home, and uh, she was a witch, and uh, practiced uh, witchcraft, and she had idols on her wall. They were wooden masks that she bought, and um, she prayed to them, and she worshipped them, and she would call out to them, and uh, we asked her why she did that, and um, she says, um, they give me security, uh, they provide me with comfort, they help me how to understand life. And uh, it gives me identity. We had the opportunity to sit her down and tell her about Jesus and share our faith with her. And uh, about an hour later, she just realizes, hey, if that's who Jesus is, then that's, that's who I want to follow. And um, I looked over at her wall and I said, the idols, what, what are we going to do with them? And uh, she wanted to keep them. She was like, they're like decoration on the wall. I was like, right. 
here's what we're going to do. So we got the, the wooden mask off the wall, and I put it in a pillowcase. And I said, let's go outside. So we walk down. We walk outside to the street. Neighbors are out, like a bunch of white Americans walking around, like you stick out in Cuba. And so they, they come outside, and all of a sudden, like I'm, I go out in the middle of the road, and I take this wooden idol that's in this pillowcase, and I, I get the pillowcase, and I start beating it on the street breaking it up into about 25 pieces and I picked up that pillowcase and like just neighbors all around everybody's looking out their houses and I grabbed the pillowcase and I dumped the wood out it clinks down on the street and I was like hey the new sheriff in town like Jesus runs these streets now I didn't say that I really I really wanted to man that would have been awesome I just broke it up and, and left it on the street walked back in the house but that's what we think of when we think of idols. We think, oh, i got to get that out of my life. i got to take that outside and put it in a pillowcase and beat it on the street. Like I, that idol, i got to get it out of my life. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. Sometimes idolatry is not something we need to get out of our life. It's something that we need to spend less time focusing on. It's, it's not something, because look, and you can identify an idol in your life and you can remove that, but if your heart doesn't change, guess what? You'll find another one. You'll find something else to chase. You'll find something else to find security in. You'll find something else to try to give you a different team, a, a different piece of furniture, a different mask, a different picture frame, like a different statue. You'll find something else. It's not just something to take away. It's about what you're putting your focus on. And it's like this. If you take a magnifying glass and focus it on an object, it makes that object look bigger and all the objects around it look smaller. That's what John says. Put the magnifying glass on Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you put it on Jesus, you'll realize something. All the other things in life become smaller and secondary. Like focus on the right thing and watch how your love and drive and desire for all the other things in life will fade away. Put the, put the glass on that. Magnify God. Elevate God. Focus on God and, and watch how he changes your attentions and your affections. Watch how you begin to care about those things even less. It's funny when you focus on the right thing, it begins to put everything back into perspective. Here's what I was praying for today. Uh, I was praying that some of you right now at this very moment would be miserable. Like it would just it would just hit you that you're miserable right now. And I love that. You're miserable because you've chased an idol and you caught it. And you've got it in your grips. And that thing you worked so hard for that you thought was going to bring you all kinds of security and comfort has left you empty. That thing you thought was going to give you a sense of belonging and identity, you're still lost, even though you found it. That thing that you thought, man, when I achieve this, when I get this, my life will be so full and it will be so meaningful and it will be, give me great purpose and I will finally be happy. And, and, and you grabbed it and you got it and you're still miserable and you're still unhappy. And you realize that idol that you chased for all those different reasons isn't what you thought it would be. And here you are, with everything you have, miserable. 
And I believe sometimes God gives us exactly what we desire to prove to us that it's not what we really wanted, that it's going to leave us empty. He's like, hey, you want to chase that? Go ahead, go ahead. And when you get to the end, I'll be here. When you come up empty, I'll be here. When you realize it's not what you thought it was going to be, I'll be here. Second chance. When you realize that that's a, a belonging in your heart, that desire in your heart was put there on purpose, and you've chased a thousand other things and it's still not filled, I'll be here. Open arms. Maybe today, in the state of misery that you're in, you realize you got some lousy idols. <laughs> you got some things you're trying to find hope in that are hopeless. You got some things you're trying to find comfort in that have never given you any kind of satisfaction or meaning. And what if today you made the decision to stop chasing those worthless things and for the very first time to find your identity and security and comfort and meaning and purpose in Christ? Guard yourselves against idols, little children. You'll come up empty every time. Because the God-given desire that we have for those three things can only be met by Christ.